This is Strange Assembly episode 227, L5R LCG Corset Review Part 3. A four, a four, we're going for four, Jay. That's Jay, I'm Chris, Mike's here. Hey. Hey. We are the Strange Assembly. Can we... we do that. We are the, yeah, the strange assembly. I think we can do that. I went to a university that insists on putting a the in its title, so we can be the strange assembly. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com for all your Legend of the Five Rings and tabletop gaming needs, or at least some of them. There's, you know, still like a dozen other L5R podcasts and websites going on right now. You can check them out too. We are going through our set review of the L5R LCG core set. As you heard, we're in part three. Part one, we covered neutral cards and provinces, including the clan-aligned provinces. In part two, we covered the crab and the crane. Part three, we are going to kick off with the dragon. So let's do this very uh, straightforward thing right now. Let's see, Mountains Anvil, Mountains Anvil Castle. It's really good. It actually does have limitations. I know people like to say it affects political and military, and it works on offense, and it works on defense, and it does, and it's really good. But it actually is a restriction that you have to have attachments. It, that, yes. that actually is a restriction. <laughs> you know, you have to do the thing like, well, I can't use my stronghold yet. Because first I need to put attachments on this guy. And like, do I use my stronghold now? Or do I put a second attachment on first? Or is somebody just going to blow something up? But still, it's solid. It it works. It definitely pushes you in the right direction. You'll see when we get into the discussion, it, it does cause a little dichotomy problem in the clan. Because like half the characters, everything that says monk is, I guess except for Yakuni, is either borderline or bad. So that's kind of a problem. The secluded temple is, I don't know if it's the the holding. It's marginal at best. It misses way too much. If it hit all the time, if you actually just got to strip a fate every single turn, that would be fantastic. I would love to have that. Like, you guys can have card draw. I'm going to get to strip fate. Yay! I I will happily strip fate. That would be crazy. But it misses way too much. I've still got one in. I will not miss it. I guess it, it kind of depends on what you're doing. If you're really going all in on the, no, 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 I'm buying one character each turn. Okay, now, if you're really committing to just that, it increases in value. But it it's so hard. Your opponent knows that you have it. Your opponent probably has the ability, too, to be like, okay, well, I'll just buy my one big character and put two fate on them. And now we've got the same. Or if it was just the same. If it worked when you and your opponent had the same number of characters. But it's just too inconsistent. Too inconsistent. So, in the land of of marginal. Let's see. Cards that you are going to be playing with in all of your dragon decks. Uh, Doomed Shugenja. Uh, limited is a real restriction, and, and dying that turn is a real restriction, but a 3-3 three, three for 1 is just too good to pass up. Mm. And unaffected by Dishonored. It, yes, and is unaffected by being Dishonored. The Agasha Swordsmith is like 1-2 two for 2 card draw. You're playing it. You're playing yeah. it every time. 
we talked in two about kind of the funkiness with Dishonor, but I still think you're right. Certainly right now you're playing with three of Miramoto Raitsugu. You are playing with a lot of attachments anyway, so you can pretty easily make him be at least a five or six on military, so he can do his thing reasonably well. The Naten Master, you're going to play with his stats are not great, but Straighten is good. You got to keep in mind that there's only a small number of cards in the deck that trigger him. You are not playing with more than six weapons in your deck. So you're usually not going to be able to do shenanigans like I attack with my Naten Master, and then I straighten him, and then then I defend, and then I straighten him again, and then I attack again. That's usually not going to happen, especially since you only get so many military conflicts and the weapons only help your stats in the military conflicts, but Straighten is so good. And he's just got native threes in both stats, so he can really contribute, even on political, like it's not the end of the world if you drop a fine katana on him to throw him into defense in a political conflict. You know, especially if you haven't used your stronghold yet, you'll always be able to pop him up at least an extra one. And even the medium case, uh, like if you attack with him, throw something on him, straighten him, and he gets to defend for essentially for free, that still seems good. Yes, yeah. I think you're always going to be playing with him. So that's the master. There's the Naten Adept. You're also always playing with him. He he really is an assassination magnet, I gotta say, because... He's got a strong ability, and it requires an attachment, so you like really want to put an attachment on him. And then because you're putting an attachment on him and he's got a really strong ability, you really want to put fate on him, which really makes your those ninjas, just they just look at him, and you know how there's people who, the instant they step outside, the mosquitoes just swarm them? He's <laughs> like that with ninja. <laughs> I mean, they just cannot keep their hands off this guy. So you're saying he's the pig pen of ninjas. <laughs> or four ninjas. <laughs> I guess. Poor, poor Nintendo Adept. <clears throat> Tagashi Yakuni is good, although overrated. It's kind of nice to just have a really great ability on the character and not have to be reliant on what you can copy. But I'm okay with that. I still am, you know, happy playing him. Like all the clan champions, he's got that whole, wow, that's really expensive. But, you know. I'm alright. And then the Katsuki Investigator. The stats are really painful. And the ability is expensive. And you don't really want to play with the cards that synergize with it. But is still something that you've kind of got to include at this point. And I know a lot of other people will talk about how he is the best thing since sliced bread. His ability is really good. I could swear people, I heard people talking about like, was either I think it was McGrim or Kozilex in uh, Inquisition they compared her to? And I'm like this. This is not comparable. I mean, it kind of is, but not really. I'm trying to think if I can summon what that reference is you're making. Oh, just well because th- those are the two cards. Like uh, Kozilex Inquisition is the one black. I look at your hand, discard a non-creature, non-land card from it. Oh, okay. Oh, over in but, Magic. Like, sorry, you have to go further yes, back. Yes, with sorry, me. you have to be like duress <laughs> right right yeah th- those are all the same thing uh, i think uh mcgrim was before duress it doesn't matter uh, the point being the cheap targeted i look at your hand and discard a card seems really good but you you aren't playing that many characters like it's not it's not the same thing 
he's good. He is not chief targeted. I look at your hand though. Right. That's, exactly. That's, I mean, that, that, my... that is the thing. He, he, he is something you should absolutely be playing with now. And, and he can provide you with just invaluable information on what your opponent's abilities are. But you're also like his stats are worth maybe two. His stats aren't even really worth two. I mean, they're not great. And then you have to pay more fate to use his ability. Him and his ability once is basically the same as in a ten master. I, I don't know. You're just right. Maybe I'm just spoiled by having all these other guys with balanced stats. You know. Or, or if there was anything that there was more synergy for, like something else where you named a card and did something if you got that card right or whatever. Yeah, well, if we if we build up to a point where we do more shenanigans with the fate on rings, then that might work better. But that is, as you'll hear later, that's that's kind of uncertain how that works out. There are some times where you can do it and it works out really well, and there are some times when you're just like giving your opponent fate. And sometimes it doesn't cost you anything, but... Well, no, yeah, every once in a while you get to be like, well, I'm the second player, this is the last conflict, I put it on a ring, and then I just immediately claim that ring. Or I'm defending your second. Yeah, 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 I'm defending your second, then I go. Or if I'm defending your second one, yes, and I'm the second player. So just, I'm going to get no to immediately claim. Hey, yeah, he... there are times. But still, he's something you should be playing with three of right now, out of Dragon. Because then you get into the bad cards and the monks. So, the Miramoto Prodigy is not really playable, and I don't think ever will be. This is the one that's the 2-2 for 2, where when she's attacking alone, your opponent can't declare more than one defender. Who cares? She's a 2-2. Who cares that they could only defend with one person? I'm not going to load her up with, like, three attachments just so you can ninja her. It's funny, like, it, it, like if she was just like a 3-3 three, three for 3, this card would be crazy. I feel like. Uh, I don't know, but she's not playable. The Enlightened Warrior, I want to be better. I can see some sort of scenario coming up where maybe there's something, but he's so hard to use. Like, he's a 2-2 two, two for 3, which is terrible stats. And his ability is to keep himself and his terrible stats around longer. But... Like I've just said that Miramoto Prodigy is not playable, I don't think, as a 2-2 two, two for 2 with a bad ability. So if Enlightened Warrior was a 2-2 two, two for 2 with no ability, that would be a bad card. So the, the first time that I gain fate from the Enlightened Warrior, I have just made up for the one extra I overpaid for him in the first place. And, you know, you really want to put a fate on him most of the time... Because you don't want, like, you want him to be able to hang around long enough to make sure that he triggers at least once to get him, you know, to kind of get the juices flowing. You want a little spare there. And you can't buy him right away. You cannot buy him on the first turn because nobody claims rings on the first turn. Rings with uh, fate on them. Yeah, we're sorry. No one claims rings with fate on them on the first turn because there aren't any. Yeah, there's the possibility that you pay three for him on turn two and he stays around for the rest of the game. But that's just really unreliable, and you're mostly overpaying. I think. Well, and it's it's just a two-two that's hanging around for the rest of the game. Well, I mean, bodies are good. True. But still, aesthetic visionary three-four for four is not good. 
It has a restriction, which means that none of your attachment stuff works with him. He's got an ability that costs fate that only works when he's attacking and that only works on another monk. And because his ability only works when he's already attacking, you can't use it to straighten people between conflicts. You have to have like had a monk get bowed from something earlier. Then you attack with the aesthetic visionary and then... Oh, so so janky. Add on to that the fact that you don't want to play with any of your monks. The Seeker of Enlightenment every once in a while gets bonkers, but she just spends most of her day... You know, your, your really best case scenario most of the time for the Seeker of Enlightenment is that on my first attack, I'm a 3-3. If she was consistently a 3-3, that would be better. And she might get much better... If you get to a point in time where you're doing more of this, you can really work this whole fate onto rings thing. But the whole fate onto rings thing, it, like I said, it's just hard to do. Partially because it all involves spending your fate. Like, how much fate do I have? After I've bought all of these characters and I'm still supposed to pay for these attachments. Honestly, it feels like the fate on ring stuff is kind of waiting for a stronghold. Right, or, or more theme support. I have no idea what their plans are for more strongholds. I think they'll make more at some point, but when? I don't. Are those going to come out in boxes? Are those going to show up in Dynasty packs? I have no idea. We haven't seen anything about that. Uh, but it's the way that you spend the fate like that has just no synergy at all with the attachments and kind of has counter synergy because you just are using your fate for something else. Well, right, and even if you had a, a stronghold in the very first Dynasty pack, right, like, you still don't have enough of a core to really do anything with it, it doesn't feel like. You'd end up with, like, this, like, you'd have, like, five or five-ish guys who did it, and then the rest of the deck wouldn't really work well with them. Now, I do end up, right now, the one of these guys who does end up in my deck, although I'm not really happy about it, is Tagashi Initiate, just because he's kind of a 3-3 three, three for two with restrictions like here because he doesn't start as a 3-3 like I can't bring him out and then defend with him as a 3-3 I got to attack with him first I at least can rely on him I know I'm definitely getting this plus two plus two bonus when I spend that one fate hopefully I can finagle it so I get the fate back but if I don't the 3-3 for a net spend of two is actually quite fine so he's the one I round my deck out with like so right now I don't play with Enlightened Warrior or Prodigy or Visionary or Seeker of Enlightenment and I I think I have a secluded temple in but I don't know how long for this world it is so that's that's a lot that I I pull out I, I don't know but so that's that's what I think of my dynasty playing dragon now you guys have probably played against some dragon I'm sure you've seen far more dragon conflict cards than dynasty but Jay or Mike, do you have a, a different take on any of these dragon guys playing against them than I have? I'm just tired of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm glad dragon are where they are. Like, we needed a clan that's good and strong for players who are newer to the style of game, and I think dragon very well fit that. They definitely have the d- depth of strategy for a more advanced player, but it also means, like, everybody's playing dragon, because they're strategies are very obvious i put these attachments on my guys and attack <laughs> right i mean it was the same thing uh in emperor when the dragons were really good because they had those stupidly good attachments 
it was just like, okay, cool. I put this on me, on my guy. Deal with my guy. You can't deal with my guy. Okay, I win. I need the equivalent of some of that stuff from Emperor, like the bow the two attachments on your guy, stop them from being, you know, jacked. Yeah, I, I think uh, also Dragon are probably one of the worst for the, hey, we've got two themes and they're both kind of getting some support in here. Luckily, one of those themes is good. Unluckily, the other theme, as you mentioned, is not. Luckily, the attachment thing actually seems to be workable on its own without worrying about the the monks and so it and if we if we get some more stuff that you know i can knock out some of the lower end fruit on the dynasty side i like the dynasty side is always where i'm looking for more stuff it feels like I, although i suppose i suppose like i would like at least one more thing for my fate deck to be a bit more happy or not fate deck conflict deck to be a bit more happy but but dynasty everyone everyone not just dragon everyone is so constrained on their dynasty right now yeah. But yeah, a lot of it, like, you just don't even have the choice. I know this is a personal thing, but I also kind of like running two of things rather than having to run three of. But, like, it's, you look at the options a lot of times, it's like, well, three of this is definitely better than putting one of these in my deck. So, yeah, more options would be great. Yeah. All right, so conflict. Now, Dragon has a couple of really good conflict cards. So probably the most popular splash again, not not just like the right splash, especially for a given deck, but probably the the most broadly popular splash is to take Dragon and play with Miramoto's Fury and Letgo. And Miramoto's Fury is amazing. In those early attacks, there is nobody it does not stop. I mean, mm-hmm. I like you can come up with you know that's like lion is the biggest thing it doesn't stop, curse you lion and your bow negation. But it's it's so good. I mean, you can be like, oh hey, it's your clan champion with an attachment on them bow. But but even that actually you you benefit a little bit from the card pool because that the lion anti bow is a reaction, so it's not even like I just get to straighten my guy. So. It's really just to counter stuff like Miramoto's Fury or not worry about Ring of Water, but sometimes that makes it kind of a dead card in your hand. So that actually is even better for Miramoto's Fury. Because there are times where that's not going to make the cut, or it'll get cut down to two instead of three. Well, I, we'll see we can get the Lion. I, I think that might be... If it's not Lion's best fade card, I think that Ready for Battle is... You should just be put in and bow is so strong it's so incredibly strong i think every line deck should be playing with three ready for battle especially right now when miramoto's fury is going to be relatively everywhere right as much as a clan aligned card can be because i think that is going to be a pretty popular thing it's like i said it's not necessarily the best thing for your deck but it's out there as an option for pretty much everything because everybody's going to get attacked and want to bow attackers, and everybody's going to play against attachments and go look go and be le- look at let go and be like, hey, this is free, and it kills any attachment. Hey, I mean, sure, maybe I'd rather calling in favors it, but this one's nice and straightforward. It doesn't have any costs. It's just free jacket. Can I can I ask a quick question? Sure. So for let go, because I was thinking about this, because let go at zero cost is obviously an amazing value because. The worst, it's uh, it's one card for one card, right? 
if this were an X and the X were the cost is X and the X is the cost of the attachment, would that stop you from playing this? That'd be a bad card then. I, I feel like it would be pretty much the same. I don't know. I, I think that would have stopped it from be, it's being in every single deck initially. Answers have to cost less than proactive cards. But I think a lot of what you're actually hitting this with are cost zeros anyway. So I think initially it doesn't change that much. There are a lot of cost zeros, but if all that Let Go was doing was killing fine katanas and ornate fans, that might be okay. Like, I would still play with that as a dragon, but it I think it kind of ceases to be a reason to go grab it. Just the way usually that card games work, like questions, answers need to cost less than questions. I generally agree with you. My, I think my biggest worry about this is this card is so good and so cost-efficient that it's going to limit what you can do with attachments. Does the existence of Let Go for free make things like, you know, two or three cost attachments just bad? Well, I know this is a little off topic, but things like um, they just did the Netrunner 2.0 set, and it's a lot of cards that were just too efficient that they ended up having to kind of take out of the set to really kind of try to rebalance things and let things come through. And that's what I worry about for Let Go. It's, it's not really a point right now. It's just a, a decent splash, because I don't think it's even necessarily the strongest splash, but it's probably the generically most even if you don't know anything about your meta splash, because everybody's going to be running those free attachments. Yeah, if you have, what, those are two each, so if you're a keeper, you can run a play set of each of those, and if you're not, you can run three Fury and two Let Go, or vice versa. I I think the correct thing is three fury and two let go, like just generically, but whatever. The other really good uh, dragon conflict card is Tattooed Wanderer, Mm. because covert is a really strong keyword, and a 2-1 for one is also pretty darn efficient. Yep. Out of your hands. There's just nothing bad about tattooed wanderer so that that really gives dragon three uh conflict cards that are amazing and you're always happy to see the only thing that i would say that's kind of bad about it is just that everybody gets confused that you don't get the stats for this when you attach it to somebody uh which is not necessarily bad i just it's the one thing it's like it seems to get everybody that's the one question i've probably heard the most Yes, that is a constantly asked question. When I attach one of these monks as a character, you know, one of these monks as an attachment to a character, does the other character get the stat bonus? And no, they don't. So the next group that I would have of dragon cards is the ones that you have to play with. The cards, so you need to play with some quantity, possibly three of each, of Ancestral Daisho and Kitsuki's Method and Daimyo's Favor. Fine Katana and Ornate Fan are not enough, right? You're never going to be able to fuel your attachment thing with just those. Katsuki's Method and Ancestral Daisho, they hurt every time you play them because you don't want to pay one for a 0-2 or a 2-0. You want to get those for free. But, obviously, it's weaker every time you play it, but hopefully you get to play it multiple times. And you need to be able to spread that around. And then Daimyo's Favor just frankly is used to mitigate cost on Kitsuki's Method and Ancestral Daisho. Also Spyglass. 
for the ancestral keyword, I wish they had worded it differently because there's there, that's also something we've had a bit of confusion about because it's just a, attached card means it kind of sounds like it means itself. So if you blow this up with like let go, it doesn't come back to your hand. It actually does go to the discard pile. Yes, because commonsensically when people think of the attachment is attached to the character people don't think of it the other way around that technically the character is also attached to the attachment right i guess they're attached to each other but yeah especially since it's reminder text and you could literally have it like the reminder text on central dice show could be like when the character this is attached to goes to the discard pile right because it's just reminder text, so you don't have to worry about exactly what the precise wording is in the same way. You could say it more colloquially. So those are ones you kind of have to play with. I don't know that you have to have three of each of them. I think you kind of have to have two of each of them at a minimum, and you might have three of each of them. I have more of them in now than I did, because if you remember our, our neutral discussion, like charge was just not working out for me, but I'm not really in enthused about having three of each of them but you know that's okay i'll I'll live with it the rest of it you've got you've got four that are bad and then one that does not has not worked out for me but i could see it having more potential and some of them might have more potential at, at some point in the future like so tranquility is just too narrow there are definitely times when it will do something but it's too narrow Mantra of Fire does not work right now because you don't want to play with the monks. Also, you're if you are playing with the monks, I don't think you're that afraid of fire that your opponent's going to be grabbing it that often. It would be better if it was void or water or earth because those are the more consistently grabbed ones. I mean, there are times, there are certain opponents you're playing against who well, they want to grab fire all the time, but yeah, there are certain ones like, oh, my opponent's crab. Yeah, they don't care. I I mean, I I do try to grab fire against Dragon pretty frequently, not just because I want to dishonor people, but also because Dragon do actually have some glory. It's not like the highest glory, but it's enough to actually be relevant. The monk thing is the big problem. I don't play with... I got like five monks in my deck. It's too much going forward. If if your deck was loaded with monks and this was going to trigger every single time your opponent declared a fire attack... That was because it is a great like like that's a strong effect when it triggers. I mean, yeah. it's a great effect. Oh yeah, uh, you just it just misses all the time. Yeah, if 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 eventually there becomes a monk deck, I think this goes right in because exactly, it's a really strong effect when it triggers. Well, and also they have to declare a fire conflict, so you can't even like switch rings for on them and then play this. On the big disappointment front, way of the dragon. So. Here's the thing, Way of the Dragon is a bad card. Yes. I don't see how Way of the Dragon is ever playable. Maybe there's some goofy combo thing that comes up, but plus one, plus one on an attachment, the cost of that is zero. Mm-hmm. I am paying two fate to copy the ability on my character, and that ability is not going to be worth two fate. It's a bad card. For ne- no, probably forever. It's not like Mantra of Fire where you're like, oh yeah, there's a time where this goes good. Or even Enlightened Warrior, I'm like, well, I think it's bad now, but you know, if the right sort of cards came, like there was a preview 
some sort of void spell that would prove that I'm like, oh, that could combo with Enlightened Warrior. You could see something like, oh, maybe something comes up with that. You know, probably it doesn't, but I just don't know what comes up with Way of the Dragon. I'll tell you what does come up with Way of the Dragon is me having to explain how Way of the Dragon works a lot of times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we could just convince people that they shouldn't be putting it in their decks, then that issue won't come up. But people love to put this on Tagashi Yukuni. It's like, oh, I can use this ability twice. I'm like, yes. And he's like, okay, I'm going to copy this ability. Okay, I'm going to use it. Great. Okay, I'm going to use it again. I'm like, no, you have to copy it again. They're like, what? <laughs> like, he only has one copy of the ability, which he's already used, so you have to copy it again, and then you get to use it. Which is actually pretty good tempo, like, if you want to stall out your tempo, but yeah, no, it's, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> Just, not good. Which is a shame. Because, you know, Dragon does not, you don't need any any big sympathy right now, but <laughs> it's kind of like the way I want them to fix the Tatori and Hitaru. These are iconic cards. You really want the clan champions and the way ofs to be good. They don't need to be overpowered, but you want them to be good, and this is bad. Oh well. So the last one then is Indomitable Will. I don't know if it's just because I run out of too much conflict, or I run out of my fate too much. I f- like you with Dragon, right? You were. It's not heck with anybody. It's not uncommon for you to win fights with only one character. Yeah. Because most fights only have one or two characters in them. And especially if you're doing the whole Dragon Voltron thing, it seems like this should hit more, but it it, it doesn't seem to have the big effect as much as I want it to, and uh, I have so much in my deck that costs. Yep. There's so much in my deck that costs, but... So really, let go is your actual way. It's just the way that everybody else can play. <laughs> I think I want to go back and mess around with Indomitable some more. I mean, like I said, I've got this stuff at the end of my fate, my, my conflict deck that I'm not really happy with. Well, I, I feel like Indomitable Will might actually get better if you get better attachments, so Voltron gets better. I don't know what's going to happen with that or not. I, I haven't really seen... A bunch of, like, what the, what the Dragon deck would dearly like, and I'm not saying it should get it, to be clear, <laughs> but it would dearly like some more free attachments that it wants to play with. <laughs> but I don't I don't know that we really need any more of those. Like, like Fine Katana, like, right, you're talking about efficiency and the Netrunner thing. Like, Fine Katana and Ornate Fan are plenty efficient. Like, you, the game yeah. cannot take any more of those. I don't think. I'm kind of surprised they didn't become ones, but then again, they stick around and they only last as long as the character and they have to have a character to attach to. So I guess zero makes sense. If they they were one, like, eh, eh, right. I mean, that's... But, but one actually might make sense for a corset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? It, it happens. So that's Dragon, and I guess our our second clan for this episode will be Lion. You haven't gotten to do a presentation on a clan yet, Jay. I mean, and I know your Phoenix are 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 up next, although not this episode. So, do, do you want to do the Lion, or do we want to make people suffer through me uh, blathering at them nonstop some more? I can jibber-jabber about the lion. Why don't you do the lion, since I just plowed through the dragon like a crazy person? Sure. 
feel free to yell at me when I'm wrong, because I've not played a lot of Lion, because I've brought them in, but I've not, you know, the dynasty, who knows. Anyway, start with their stronghold. It's very focused on attacking, and it's very focused on military, so very Lion. They also have the biggest starting honor in the game, because Lion. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, pretty much. Yeah. Well, no, it's like Crab Stronghold, right? Like, look... Yup, it's a lion stronghold. Yep, yep it does what, what else, it does well. What else to say about it? <laughs> yes, it works thematically. I also think it gives them a little bit of honor to pay for other things they kind of have to do, like let some undefended attacks go by. So I, I think it ends up being fine. Me- mechanically, I think it actually is good. When they have things like characters that need to you to be higher honor than your opponent, or they die. Right. So it's kind of good that they start off at least, at least right at the beginning. They're one up on everybody, so the things they don't, don't just explode. explode. Yeah. So let's see. So next up is their their holding, which is the flip two cards face up, which seems good to me for Lion to just try to flood that board up. I like it. Yeah, it's great. The white through. card. They've got the other zero-cost character. He's actually got some stats, though, but he is the guy who explodes if you go to Dishonorable or play against Scorpion. <laughs> well, you don't have to get that Dishonorable, right? You just have to bid five when your Plus opponent bids three, opponent. and then... Yeah. Down he goes. But, you know, they're trying to swarm the board, and free guys with stats will definitely help them swarm the board. Uh, you got the Akoma Prodigy, who is help, helping you with your uh, politics, which they're not that great at. Uh, and also getting, getting some um, honor gain out of her, potentially, which is always good. I don't think she's good enough to play right now. One for an O2 just does not. I don't think it's getting it. And you don't, you don't want to play face on the feet on this character. And one honor's not doing anything. It's not even repeatable. If you're not putting the fate on her, then uh, why are you playing her? Why are you playing her? (laughs) (laughs) I think you're playing her because she's one cost for two politics. Yeah, I guess that's better than the dash two, but only barely. Yeah. Without Uh, the downside. Yeah. You got the Matsu Berserker, who's three force for one. There's Rar, who doesn't like them. The Matsu Berserker is excellent. Yes. Yeah. Excellent autoplay every single time. Yeah. Just everything the line was to do. You got the Steadfast Samurai, who's a little 1-1 one, one for 1, but he's got the potential to just hang around forever if you can keep your honor up. If the Steadfast Samurai stayed around if your honor was just up, that would you know, kind of obviously be much stronger. I'm not... I'm, I'm kind of inclined to think he'd doesn't really get enough done at requiring you to be up by five. But at least the opposite, it recruits free, right? Or even if it was something smaller, like two or three, that's much more doable, especially for Lion. But Yeah, if I'm if I'm up by five, I want to spend that to draw some more cards. I mean, even having to be up by two or three means I'm, I don't really want to be drawing more than you are, even on the first turn. Yeah. Especially not losing a, a feet to it and a card. Alright, next up is the Akuto Gunso, who I think Pride means that if you can start chaining him, he'll just go crazy with the uh, Force. 
I don't know if he's really that playable though because of that. I think he's great. Because really? yeah, well, because uh, he's a two one for two, which is not good, but he lets you see your next card, and then pride means he honors it. He, you honor him, and he's got a glory of two. It does make him a little sketchy with like with assassination, obviously, but that's still pretty good. I don't think of him as sketchy with assassination. He's, I mean, you have to put a fate on him to make it work, but like you don't put any resources into him after you've bought him. I I don't think he's great, but I don't. If my opponent blows an assassination on the gun, so like I guess what because he got honored and then they pop it, but it didn't cost me anything to honor him. Right, and then he he comes into play and flips up an obstinate recruit, and now I've got another body. Yeah, or just, I mean, just other bodies are useful. Even if it's a body, even if he flips up a body you don't want, well, now you can chuck him, so you can see somebody right. new the next turn. Next up is the Death Seeker, which is a 2-1 for 2 that you can explode them to explode your opponents, which, if the crab tell me anything, sounds like a good plan. It would be if she didn't have to lose as an attacker. Oh, yeah, I missed as an attacker. Okay. With the Death Seeker, right, you have to attack and put your opponent in that sort of situation where you're like, well, I'm attacking with my Death Seeker. You can either let me claim the ring, or you can come beat my Death Seeker, and then my Death Seeker will kill one of your guys so that you're not able to do anything later on. And the Death Seeker can just attack on political. It's something to do with your political attack. That is actually true. You are paying bad stats for that, but it doesn't have to be in the conflict, which actually is good. Yes. The fact that the person she discards does not have to be in the conflict is the only thing that gives her hope of being in a death. Right. The downside is that, well, you did at a minimum have to pay two fate for her, so... You're going to be happy with your Death Seeker if you get the chance to be like, oh, I was going to say, if you get the chance to discard your your opponent's champion before they get to use them one last time, but I guess you can attack with your Death Seeker on water and be like, okay, political water, here are your choices. (laughs) (laughs) You can not defend and let me bow your character, or you can defend and let me kill your character. Your, Your call. Either way, I'm fine. Same difference. I, uh... I bow you with my stronghold, you're a zero and you bounce. Curses Crane! <laughs> yes, the Crane will, because because you, the attacker isn't losing. They aren't winning, Nobody but they're wins. not losing, so they can't trigger her. Right. I'm not necessarily saying that I'm excited about the Death Seek or something, but she's at least got something she can do. Right. Yeah. Next up is the Venerable Historian, two for a dash one. But with three glory in a way to honor themselves, that seems uh, pretty strong for a potential four politics person. You're aiming to be basically a double Akoma prodigy, right? Two for a four? Yeah. yeah I guess. I'm just paying two for a dash with a one, and you have to use the ability to actually make them have stats. It's... I, I would yes, this is a historian. I will remember him fondly as I replace him with something else in my deck. Uh, so next up is the Kitsu Spirit Caller, who you're pretty much buying for that ability of bringing your dudes back from the dead for a bit. Yes, where's have I discarded an honor honor general yet? <laughs> <laughs> 
Or, or what's that? Tatori is dead from earlier? Let's have him chill out for another conflict. That sounds like fun. Yes. Kitsu Spirit Caller is excellent. The Lion already have a couple, like, as we've just mentioned, that they have a couple of guys who are outstanding targets. And I know this is kind of weird and probably wouldn't happen right now, but it does also stall out when you have to shuffle your deck. <laughs> It does. Which can matter. It can. It could matter if it went to them. It can. I still have yet to, I know you guys, I think at least one of you had said you had seen it. I still have not actually seen that happen in a three-core game. Well, well I, I, yeah, no, it wasn't three-core. It was single-core. So that it's much more likely to happen in 30 cards. Yeah. And how about Lion's Clyde Brawler? Lion's Pride Brawler. We can all agree that none of our opponents should ever be playing with this card, right? <laughs> yeah, go away. Shoo. <laughs> I just like the idea of she goes to court and she just beats up all the nerds and takes their lunch money. Yeah. No, she she calls out nerds so hard in the court that they have to bow wherever they are. Like, just <laughs> resonating <laughs> through the void. Yeah, she, does, she doesn't show up to court and beat up the courtier. She, like, shows up at this guy's house over there and, yeah, and then somehow beats up the character on the other side of the... The Lion's Pride Brawler is probably the best character in the game. Pretty close. I'm not sure who it would be if it's not her. Her ability, she's got reasonable stats at her cost, and her ability is amazing. I would say possibly Kikita Challenger, but she's not as good as this. But her ability is very similar. Yes, the Doji Challenger just has to drag her in. I mean, and the Lion's quite like, like at three or lower, three or lower is... Almost everybody. I mean, yeah. okay, she's not going to bow out most clan champions, although she can bow yours, Mike. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, I do look at the Lion's Pride Brawler, and it is one of those ones I'm like, well, this feels like a mistake. Like, they left some restriction off of her ability, or or somebody accident- like like bumped bump the stat up when it shouldn't have, like if she was a 2-2 two, two for 3 that would be a much more fair card I think when you look at her the total overall card pool uh, she's fine because they also kind of are overpaying for a bunch of mediocre effects at low which is kind of where they want to be a lot of times so I mean, she might be a problem in the future because she's just so good and efficient but yeah I, I don't think she's bad right now I mean, I think she's very, very good, obviously, but I don't think it, like, overpowers Lion by any means. There's the difference between the the faction as a whole being overpowered, but the card, I think, is overpowered. What else you got, Jay? Next up is Matsu Bayona. Bayona? I don't know how to pronounce that. I think it's Bayona. Uh, if you're managing to swarm successfully, we'll get to boost, hang out better with the swarm. I mean, it's a three for a three-two that if you have three other people hanging out and then they're probably Bushi because you're lying, you get two extra fade out of her. I think she's definitely going to get played, but overall it's like, it's hard because I like I would always run maybe two of this character and always want to see her turn two because that would be the most relevant time you could see her and have this happen. But a lot of times you're small guys, unless you got your action your crazy action off, like, they're, you're probably cycling through a lot of dudes in Lion. So I don't know that they're going to be out in time. The three other characters out is not that hard to do, right? If you have 
one no. character survived from the prior turn, and you got all these cheapies, and you buy one, you buy two, and then you buy her third. Or if you have two characters bu- survive from a prior turn, and you buy one, and then you buy a second. And she's easy to buy with a couple of other characters because you mm-hmm. then aren't going to pay to put fate on her. Now, they do all have to be Bushi, though, in that sort of scenario. And the Lion are very, very heavy on Bushi, but it's not like they're only Bushi. So... Right. Well, she, she, pays you, she pays you for the tempo you're losing because you're probably having to pay a couple, like three people, too. Because the feat you would be getting, you get on her. I think she's still playable. But, yeah, she, she takes some work to get max value. And I think she might be a little bit better when they get more Bushi. More playable Bushi. The longer it goes on, the more of an ability you will have to make a purely Bushi deck, if you so choose. Although you're probably still going to want to have Kitsu Spirit Caller in your deck, I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I don't think three uh, of one card is really going to throw off your th- needing three Bushi for the most part. No. And other than Kitsu Spirit Caller, I feel like all of your non-Bushi characters are in the marginal pile. <laughs> hey, and you can use Kitsu Spirit Caller, bring her in, and give her two fate, and then she goes on the bottom of your deck anyways. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> Yes, or or you can do exciting things like Kitsu Spirit Caller, and then For Greater Glory, and then, oh. Yep. Reprieve works, I think. Yeah, because Reprieve is the next time that they would leave play, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yes, you could... I mean, they're, they're still then going to die at the end of the turn... From not having fate, unless you've also unless you've played reprieve and for greater glory, <laughs> or Metso Biona. Oh yes, if you had the Biona, you could also use Honored General plus reprieve plus stand your ground. Yep. But I don't know. So Honored General is Kitsu Spirit Caller bait, but is just also huge. I mean, he's a five three for four. And yeah. he gives your other lion characters military bonuses. He seems solid and just fantastic when brought back by the spirit caller. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead and ink him in your dark cost. He, he is clan champ number two. Yeah. We've got clan champ number one and Ikoma Edgy left, or AG. What do you think about those guys there, there Jay? AG's another one of these, hey, I've got some politics skill, and I want to lose a politics fight. So, like, we were talking about with the other one of those, you can do silly things like, I'm attacking, you can either let me win this, or you let me get another ability off. And that's not a horrible ability to get a guy back from the dead. I will bring my Death Seeker back, and then try to lose another conflict. (laughs) Well, and I'll... Also, they don't. You don't have to have like lost a uh, province. You just have to lose the conflict. So he can defend with his three. Although you're paying four to defend with the three, which is probably not great. But you're probably getting a dude back with it. So yeah. Although it is going to be a dude other than Biona. <laughs> it is going to be a dude who doesn't have right. No, that's a combo, right? Ag and Biona is a combo. <laughs> yep. There you go. Because she will come in and be like, "Oh, look, I got my fate now." Let's go. Or you can 
Spirit call her back in, sacrifice uh, the Death Seeker back in, sacrifice her, then AG her back in, tech her again. The, the problem with the even the one thing I suggested with AG and the Death Seeker is that the Death Seeker has to be attacking, and really yeah. the Death Seeker wants to be in your first attack. Yep. So it's hard to like it's it you you I mean you can come up with it, but it's harder to lose a conflict and then bring the Death Seeker in and then accomplish something with the Death Seeker. Well, and the examples we're coming up with are, are probably a little bit more fun and funny rather than <laughs> consistent really tournament good. <laughs> effective. Right. But but it shows yeah. what could be there with the right characters to support it. Yeah, this is this is your fun kitchen table play around, mess around with your friends deck that we're constructing here. This is Commander before it becomes modern. Yeah. Yeah. And then Taturi, who is severely hampered in the same way that Hataru is, and yet still, like, you've got to play with him. Yeah. Is he so pretty? So I feel like there are seven cards in Lion that I want to play with on the Dynasty side. And then after that, I start to get kind of eh about everything. But obviously, you know, 21 cards is not enough, even if I add in the uh, even if I add in the neutral cards I like to play with. I still got to add at least, what, two, three more of these these characters. Every, it feels like every Lion deck should be playing with Lion's Pride Brawler, Kitsu Spirit Caller, Honor General, Akoto Tatori, Matsu Berserker, Stage and Ground, and Obstinate Recruit. Yeah, I feel like I feel like AG could probably be a pretty decent one of because you're not going to get that ability off all the time, but hey, it helps to defend a, a political and gets you a dude. Well, you got to play with some of these other guys in there. I mean, I'm not, I don't get excited by Biona or AG or the Death Seeker or the Gunso or either of the political hacks, the the Prodigy or the Historian, but I got to play with something. I feel like a lot of the uniques are the you just play one of and it's fine, and maybe you actually throw in the imperial uh, dude that's one for a two dash, just because you want cheap dudes and he actually and he's a bushi and he fills that. Just please don't let them get the imperial favor. Oh, oh, the the Zapoon guardsman. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean I think the yeah I think the Sapoon guardsman and the Atomo courtier are are perfectly playable, which is why I mean. I guess now that I think about it, like the Akoma Prodigy, now you should you should play with the Akoma Prodigy. You should be playing with the Akoma Prodigy. The Atoma Courtier is playable, and the Akoma Prodigy is just better than the Atoma Courtier because it doesn't have a well, dash. Yeah. I, I think if you are going to play with the Atoma Courtier, you definitely play with Akoma Prodigy instead because it's just no no downside and uh, an upside you will never ever use, but. So now that I think it back, I guess I think right now you should probably always be playing with the Prodigy. I mean, I don't think you're like you can't just completely abandon politics, and that's an efficient way to handle it. Yeah, I think Lions Pride Brawler is really how you handle it. (laughs) That's your answer to everything, Lions Pride Brawler. That's Lions' answer to everything. (laughs) It yeah, it kind of is. She's the real clan champ. She's really good. Thanks, Matsusiko. 
Okay, Jay. I've already proclaimed Ready for Battle to be bonkers good. What do you think about the Lion Conflict cards? Uh, sure, we can start with Ready for Battle, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, also, the Four Greater Glory to keep all of your little dudes hanging around for another turn also seems pretty good. I think that's probably their best card. Like, this is the card I always think about splashing. See, maybe it's just me. I feel like Guidance of the Ancestors is another one I really want to be splashing Lion for, just because it's a plus one, plus one that just keeps coming back every time I want it. Oh, you're not wrong. Yeah, I've already got that, so... Yes, we're not all dragon. Yes, but but this is better, because if they blow it up, you can still bring it back, or if they Ring of Earth it out of your hand. (laughs) Its ability to come back is better, although it's it's weaker in that plus one, plus one isn't as good as plus two, plus oh, or plus oh, plus two. But but most importantly, like, that's not what I'm going to use my info. Sure. If that's better than Daisho and uh, Kazuki's method, it's not enough better. When I look at Lion, I just don't know that it, it, they're deep enough, but Ready for Battle is the card that I want to, that makes me want to splash Lion. One, it's free. Bow is really good, and when I've got some Voltroned up unit and you bow them, I would really like to negate that. When you play the cards like, oh, bow or dishonor, I can be like, oh, hey, how about I bow and then negate? Ha 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 ha. Well, that's, I mean, I think this is also our personal choices, like flavoring this, because ready for battle is good. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say it's not, but it is a reactionary card. Whereas at, at being Crane, the thing that would other, well, obviously from that great glory is not glory. It's not what I'm looking at. Stand your ground is real good for Crane. Yeah, stand your ground is not bad either. It's sort of like a a good omen, but with a different restriction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, keeping an honorable person around is good. And also from an honored, there's the honored blade, which you pay one for the plus two, plus zero, but now you have a chance to gain honor with it. Honored blade stinks. It's restricted too. Yeah. It's bad. Like I say, I get a little grumpy about paying for, like, I'm going to pay for this ancestral daijo. I'm going to free find katana. That's so much better than Honored Blade. Like, the the possibility of playing a card again, so much stronger than one honor. What I really wish this Honor Blade was is if it had pride instead of its reaction, I think this would be a good card. If it had pride instead of its reaction, that would be amazing. You don't defend? I'm about to win? I've got this one? All right, you've passed? Okay. Pride? Yep. Uh, That would be fantastic. What also would be better would be Dishonored Blade. Like, you bring it into play and your opponent loses an honor. That that would be better also. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because, I don't know, even if you were to eventually actually be able to build an honor deck, like, this is at most getting two honor, probably... Maybe three or four if you're doing standing tricks. Yeah, it's just not. No, yeah. You're not getting a lot of honor out of it now. I mean, if you're winning that many conflicts, you're probably just winning, period. Mm-hmm. You probably don't have to worry about honor. Yeah. Also, attachments that care about winning is... Um, or I guess doesn't care about winning. The Sashimono that prevents you from bowing. 
when you go into conflicts. I don't know if it's worth two. It's really good when it works, but it's the two is what kills it for me. Like I like this is exactly the sort of card Voltroni stuff would love to do. I mean, who who needs to attend master to straighten when you can just not bow in the first place? But oh, it's so hard to find the two fate. Well, and most most straighten effects cost one. So if this causes you to not bow twice. It, you've pretty much paid for it, uh, you know, at cost. But if you don't get to use it, then, yeah, obviously that's real bad. I mean, the hope is that you'll be able to use it over a turn, over a couple of turns. You know, I'm attacking with my character. You're like, okay, that's great. Now I'll be able to attack back. And then I drop the Sashimono on them, and you're like, oh. Well, also the problem for Lion is if they have any kind of negative thing attached to them, like you, you putting Sashimono on it is uh, a good target for them putting on um, God the air spell that makes them forget or fiery poison madness or something like that that makes them like yeah you're now one one guy gets to attack twice or, or uh, gets to participate three times in conflicts okay sure they even have a harder time getting a lot of use out of the third conflict because the third conflict is necessarily political. Which right. they're not going to do as great of a lot. You can do a lot better with uh, the political conflict when your character's like, oh, well, I've got a three in politics, so sure, because being balanced is our shtick. But it's just... It's so much. It's um, it's playable, but not something that I get excited about. Oh, kind of like Way of the Lion. <laughs> Way of the Lion can be a lot... Though it can be, but I also think that well, okay. So actually, this is a question: What is counts as base military skill? It, That's your skill before like being honored or anything, right? It's whatever's printed on you. Yes, it's the it's the, your it's your printed skill. There are a couple of characters that you're playing that you're definitely going to hit with this, and it's going to be a lot of honor. But if you don't get one of your four plus cost characters, this is a worse bonsai. Well, you have plenty of people who have threes, so... I guess it's true. So, I mean, I think a lot of the times it's just going to be plus three. I don't like the design on this card in that it literally increases your base stat. Yeah. What it should say, I think, is increase your military by your base military. But it in it actually increases your base military. So if you take a Kodo Taturi and you play Way of the Lion on him, it doesn't just give him plus six military, it changes his base military to twelve. So now if you play another Way of the Lion, it makes him a twenty four. Which is completely yeah, gratuitous. But it, it is just so counterintuitive to change your base right. stat. The whole point of a base stat is that it's the unmodified number. Well, you would think that, just for consistency's sake, too, that this would work just like the Berserker after you sacked a character. i just double my military. Obviously, that would also make this a better card, but you also couldn't stack it. I went, or, you could. I you, you could, could double it, it and double it again. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't need to. Right. The fact that you can double it does not come up a bunch. You usually don't need a massive thing like that, but you might want at that final stronghold fight. Right. It's just, it's sort of... This is probably overstating it, but I guess it it kind of offends my design sensibilities. 
regardless of the actual like how often that scenario will will come up gameplay wise like bonuses are just always cleaner than replacements yeah and you just shouldn't be changing the base number you shouldn't change a base number you shouldn't change a printed number that defeats the whole purpose of having a base number or a printed well and it's just begging for problems down the road probably that's why magic stopped doing it Mm -hmm. next up is strength in numbers which is kind of like yours but not quite as good because you're sending home a defending person based on their glory versus just how many people you've managed to bring into this battle so hey Kasada you can go away I think strength in numbers is actually pretty good in a lot of cases, it's, I mean, bowing it would probably be better, but in a lot of cases, this is probably easier to hit. It's probably worse for smaller characters and much better for, like, clan champions. Because I only have to be attacking with, like, three people to send your clan champ home. Yeah. Which is basically what you were saying, but yeah. Three people's harder to muster, but it, it just sends an awful lot of people home. Yeah. It's fighting in that space with things like Outwit and Route, where you're like, well, I'm sending you home, you know, and this cost, and send home means you can come fight in a later battle or or whatever, so... Yeah, but I, I, I do think sending home from attacking is probably significantly better than sending home from while you, while you are defending, if that makes sense. I do like this better than Outwit and Route. Do we go over Master of the Spear? Not yet. Here, of course. I think it's the only one, right? No. Oh, yeah, at least we haven't talked about either of them. I just yeah. thought, oh, Vengeful Oathkeeper. He's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dude can come in for free. You don't, don't, I don't want to underestimate free people. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You go, hey, you're going first. You attack military into me. I let you have it for free. I drop him. I've got an extra body on my attack. But he's he's adding more military, which hopefully would be the one thing it's blind or already doing. Mm. He's, he's not terrible, but I just don't think he's great. Yeah, I he's marginal, but potentially playable. Because, you can't you know, even make him free. stick around if you want. <laughs> because you, you can't even put fate on the character. If, not that you would, but... Yeah, yeah, no, when you use his reaction, you cannot put fate on him. He could be significantly better if you could put fate on him. Not, I mean, obviously, just generically, that makes it more versatile and useful. But specifically, it would be if if your opponent's last attack was to swing military at you, you at least have the option of like dropping him down and putting one fate on him, and then having him next turn. Because if you could buy this guy for one fate, you'd be happy to do that. A two one for one. Yeah, I hear that's well, good. And he's not gonna be in a. He's not going to be in a challenge. Oh, no, I guess Assassinate will... No, Assassinate has to be participating, right? Nope. Nope. Oh, well, still. It's a one card for one card, so that's really still not fair. I mean, yes, he can be assassinated, sure. So... I'm not so like I'm putting attachments on the guy. True. And probably not even fate. <laughs> but, but all that is, it doesn't really matter anyways, because he just can't do it. Yeah. And then Master of the Spear. Last card. I mean, that ability is pretty good, and you can drop a mid-conflict to do it, but pretty seems just so pricey. It's like 
two two with a guaranteed route if you're attacking. I yeah, like you're having to attack a spud, and then maybe you get over their province strength if they defend with one person because you attacked with a spud. But I don't know. Well, I mean, most provinces, if you attack with two, and then you throw in Master of the Spear, and you send their one defender home, that's breaking. True. True. But that's probably also most of your glory. And they're not bound. And they can come break province back. I think the craziest thing is that this is three influence. (laughs) I don't know where the influence numbers come from all the time, but... That's the other thing that makes ready for battle attractive from, an, from a splash perspective, is that it's a one. Uh, yeah, that definitely <laughs> seems like something you'd put it like a two. But yeah, whatever. It's fine. If Master of the Spear could just get Lion's Pride's Brawler stats, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like Lion's Pride Brawler should probably just be a two-two. Yeah. It's a solid ability, and the character feels so close. Yeah. Do you think if it was two and a one-one body that it would be more played. I feel like that gets you over on a lot of lines, because Lion has does have a significant number of threes. I don't know if that's actually good or better. I just, you know, it's something I question. I think if it was cost two, this card would be crazy good. I don't think so. I don't, And the reason why I'm saying that is, is that when you, to make the Master of the Spear worth it, you really need to be putting fate on the character. If you're making it a 1-1 one, one for 2, you're really starting to reduce it down to just being, like, the ability. Right. And now you're kind of paying 2 for the ability and plus 1 skill. I feel like part of the problem with contact conflict characters is that a lot of times, like, once you get past, say, Adaptive Shadows, like, psychologically, people sometimes don't like saving. Oh yeah. You know, your kind of instinct is to buy your dynasty characters. And then you look at the Master of the Spear and go, I don't have any cards left. I don't have any money to pay for this. Yes, I, I think you are absolutely correct. However, also, and this is probably just because I've been playing Crane, it's amazing to pay like a one three cost character with one fate on it or whatever. They play a character you pass. And now you've got like four or five fate and they're like, What is this person going to do? I really like that. I really like conflict characters because of that. I don't think Master of the Spear is necessarily your best bet for that, but things that, uh, like, uh, unassuming, you know, Jimbo and the dual, the people who have Covert are just amazing for things like that. Covert is good. Master of the Spear, right, if I attack and you defend with one character, that character is going home, and I'm going to get to claim the rank. If I attack with Master of the Spear and you actually defend with two characters so you can, you know, avoid her ability, I might go, you know what? You can have the ring. I'm just going to take your entire squad being bowed down <laughs> and wreak havoc on my second attack. She's even too political, so you can use your pol- your cruddy political attack like that with Lion. And I think people undervalue how good it is just to be able to blow, like, two or three cards out of your hand and take a, a province with it. I know this sounds weird, but that's what I frequently find, like, will let me win tempo. Because, like, I'll be down in hand size, but you're down in provinces, and your board's not significantly better than mine. When you're down a few provinces, it starts to constrain you. Like, you don't want to get down to that point where all your opponent has to do is crack your your stronghold. But Master of the Spear feels like she should be better to me than she seems to work out. 
I guess we'll have to see. Maybe we'll see ways that she gets used better than I've had with her so far. But like we were saying, right, because you throw down with, like, what, maybe one fate so four is kind of hard to keep. But like I said, it keeps your opponent guessing as to what you're going to do. And then if they don't if they don't declare an attack, well, great, you got them to not declare an attack. And if you throw her down and they only have one defender back, she, with one other card, she's going to take a province. And she can do it either on military or on political. Yeah. I'm a master of the sphere with an ornate fan. What's right? That's right. <laughs> what you don't know is that there's iron bars in this fan. <laughs> one of those lion signal fans. Yes. That the they can fans. also use to bash people over the head with. Yeah, Tessin. Yeah, yeah. thank you. That's what they'll do next. They'll print an attachment that's Tessin, plus two military and plus two political. Ha <laughs> 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 All right, so... Do we have anything else to say about Lion? Because clearly this is, uh, we're not going past Lion on this episode. They're fun. I think they're decent. I don't, I don't think they're great, but I don't think that they have a bad base. It would not take much to boost them up. They clearly have some individual just amazing cards. They feel like they get into eh, playable but eh stuff a little quicker than some of the other clans. But those excellent cards are your base, right? Yeah. Yep. Three years from now, barring, you know, errata or something, Lion's Pride Brawler is still going to be in every Lion deck. And it's not even unique. That's not that big a deal, but... It is, kind of, because you can play it like your first turn or whatever, and then maybe it has one fate and goes away turn two or whatever. Then you bring your uh, Spirit Caller and another Lion's Pride Brawler. You can bring in that other's uh, Lion's Pride Brawler. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. Not shabby. Okay. So we've hit neutral, crab, crane, dragon, lion in three parts. I guess I'm going to have to try to hit the three final clans in one episode next time. But that is it for today. You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your Legend of the Five Rings and tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or Google Play Music Store. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter and facebook.com slash strangeassembly. If you'd like to get a hold of me directly, I am Chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Cue obligatory out-of-key singing of Let It Go every time the dragon player plays Let Go? I know, I literally forced my opponents to do this. <laughs> I will not do the effect until you actually sing. Or at least twice. <laughs>